0: Well, what is today? Sunday, right? What, uh, what else is going on today? Super Bowl. I got asked last year, hey, uh, Pastor CJ, um, it's like one week before the Super Bowl and I haven't heard anything about New Song to the Super Bowl party because we used to. I said, that's right. I said, because nobody said anything until you, and I'm not planning one on my own anymore. Um, apparently, everybody really likes to be at home in the com- comfy chairs, right, uh, where the fridge is right there. And, and it's fun to gather at the church, but it, it, um, it always ends up, Jen and I, kind of being here at the close of it. Our family's at my sister's house, all enjoying time, and everybody else is dispersed to their other parties, right? And so um, we've not really talked about the Super Bowl. And so today, I'm sure you're like, well, I wonder if he even knows um what today is well i only have about a seven hour sermon so i I will make it more interesting the super bowl how about that danny we're gonna miss it is that okay well hey a little bit of information about the super bowl super bowl 51 this is super bowl 51 am i correct danny's my fact checker here so you just you tell me but it's it's the the one of the, the largest, if not the largest, sporting event every year. Super Bowl 51 is scheduled to be played at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas on Sunday, February 5th, 2017. I'm going to read this like an obituary, okay? Is that right, Danny? Is it preceded in death? No, I'm sorry. It, it will be the second Super Bowl to be held at NRG Stadium, um, the other being Super Bowl 38 in 2004 which also featured the New England Patriots and also the third time the Super Bowl has been played in Houston after Super Bowl VIII in 1974 was held at Rice Stadium. So I understand that um, this will be the 50th anniversary, so it's kind of a big deal for the Super Bowl. Um, I also understand that uh, Super Bowl 51 is the Patriots' uh, ninth Super Bowl appearance. Is that correct? Ninth Super Bowl. And so they have been there a few times. It's also their second appearance in three years, and their seventh under the leadership of head coach Bill Belichick and quarterback Tom Brady. So the Falcons are making their second appearance, and uh, they will have a chance to win their first Super Bowl. Exciting times! So can you imagine what that team is feeling like today? And Here's the other thing: Lady Gaga will be in the in the. Uh, Halftime show. So um we all know we can skip that, right? <laughs> Here here's something that interests me more. Let's get into the Super Bowl facts that your pastor loves the best, all right? Eight million pounds of guacamole is consumed on Super Bowl Sunday. Eight eight million I could swim you could swim in that. We could have a church swimming party, guacamole, you know? Holy guacamole, right? So um 14,500 tons of chips are eaten along with that guacamole. 14,500 tons. Of the top ten most watched American television programs of all time, nine of them are Super Bowls. Over 700,000 footballs are produced annually for official NFL use. Only 72 of those are used for the Super Bowl. I guess the rest are practice or whatever. And then Super Bowl commercials. In 1967, a 30-second commercial cost about forty thousand dollars. In 1967, last year, a 30-second spot sold for a record cost of five million. Five million. CEO of CBS uh, and the CABS packaging ads uh, team uh, bought five million. Uh, then I guess prior record to that was $4.5 million for a 30-second spot, and that was set by NBC. That's a lot of money for 30 seconds. All right, a little bit of trivia for you before we get into the word. Let's see if anybody can beat Danny to the punch here. I'm assuming Danny's got a, a good memory on Super Bowls here. What is the name of the trophy for the winner of the Super Bowl? All right. Which player has won the Super Bowl MVP three times? I'm looking for a name. Joe Montana. Which team was the first team to win five Super Bowls? That's right, Pittsburgh Steelers. I want to make you sweat out a little bit. Which team won the first Super Bowl? Green Bay Packers. All right. Well, January fifteenth, 1967, the first Super Bowl championship was between the NFL Green Bay Packers and AFL Kansas City Chiefs, and it was at Memorial Coliseum in Los Angeles, and the score was Green Bay 35 and Kansas City 10, and there was an attendance of 61,946 people. Bart Starr was the quarterback for Green Bay and was named the MVP. So listen, I want to uh, transition to our, our message today, but I want to give you uh, a couple descriptions of some teams. Let's, let's talk about some just general teams. Um, team number one, this team can be seen huddled together on the sideline before the game. Heads bowed in prayer with the coach in the middle, and suddenly they give a great cheer, and the coach trots out on the field by himself. You know, that one where they get the hands in the middle, you know, and they go out, and the coach goes out on the field while the other players go and sit on the bench. Now as a sideline reporter, you go up to a 300-pound offensive guard and ask him, what's the coach doing out there? Oh, the guard replies, he's going to play today. All by himself, you ask? The guard explains, why not? He's got a lot more experience and training than the rest of us. Um, We've got a lot of rookies on this team, and we might make mistakes. Anyway, we pay the coach well. We're all here to support him, of course. And and look at the huge crowd that's come out to watch him play. And so as the opposing team kicks off, the coach catches the ball and valiantly charges upfield, but buried under 11 tacklers, he's carried off half-conscious. Sound crazy? Well, it's the same with the church. God has given pastors and teachers and leaders, but their role is to equip the players on the field doing the work of ministry. Never is the pastor or the staff supposed to carry the ball Uh, every play or do the work or try to defeat uh, the foe by themselves here's the thing interesting I've learned about pastoring is is nobody will have to uh, egg me on to do any more than I'm going to do already because I feel this weight all the time is this ship gonna sink on my shoulders and God's saying it's my ship and it's on my shoulders but I uh, I tend to in human effort pastors take that the problem is is we tend to if the players hand the ball off to us we tend to run out on the field and tend to want to run the plays ourselves. So team two. This team realizes they should all play. They huddle on the field, and they huddle, and they huddle, and they huddle, and the referee gets tired of it, calls a penalty for the delay of game, and moves the ball back five yards, but the team still huddles and huddles and huddles and huddles. The referee calls penalty after penalty until finally the ball's moved back all the way back to their own goal line. And the quarterback then yells back to the sidelines, Hey, coach, this is the greatest huddle I've ever been in. <laughs> what a group of guys. We, we have the best fellowship, and some of these guys are amazing students of the playbook. Some of us memorize over 100 plays at a time. We learn so much in this huddle. We love our huddle. But you holler back at the quarterback, ask him, But why don't you get on the line and play? And he responds, Why should we? what we want is a bigger and better huddle. Besides, this way no one gets hurt. It's safe, it's comfortable, and it makes us really feel good to be huddled together. It is. Sunday morning service, early morning service, when you've just had breakfast, and those carbs are starting to flow, and you get into this little tin can of a building, right, and it's warm and cozy, and if you came to second service last week, there's maybe five empty seats, and so you're like this, and all of a sudden you're, you know, right? It's just so warm and cozy. Why would you want to go out there? in all that weather and get hurt well team number three this team brings every player out on the field and breaks out of his huddle just like a team is supposed to do however instead of lining up against the opposing squad they break out into groups of three arguing with one another soon they start shoving and two of them actually get into a fight and as the referees call penalty on that team between each other for delay of the game and are moving the ball backwards, you run out into the field and ask the player, what's wrong? And the players walking off the field in disgust explain, this bunch can't ever agree on anything. Those two over there, they're arguing over the color of the uniforms. A couple others are <laughs> quarreling over the right way to kneel in the huddle. And I'm quitting because I can pass a lot better than anyone else on this team and they're still not letting me do it. So team number four, let's look at the final team. Team number four, however, is on the way to the Super Bowl. They're playing together. They're huddling, slapping each other on the back, on the back, on the back. That's what we do in church, on the back. <laughs> Some of you that play sports know what I'm talking about. We don't slap anywhere else but on the back, not backside. Each <laughs> I'm sorry. That just I I went back into my little happy place when I was a kid. I was like, hey, that's just wrong. You guys shouldn't be slapping each other like that, all right? Each player carries out his own assignment, and soon they score a touchdown, and then another and another, and afterwards in the locker room, they're exhausted, bruised, but happy. And obviously, team number four is the model we should follow. This is a church that is a Super Bowl church, if there ever was one, a supernatural church. And that's what we started last week, the, the six superpowers of the supernatural church. right? We talked about that we could belong to a lot of churches around here. And we're not going to compare ourselves to others because I haven't been to another church service. Well, I've been to a few on vacation, but I rarely am at another church service. I'm always here. I have no idea what they're doing over there in other churches. But we do know that there are plenty of choices, and we do know that there's a lost and dying world all around us. And I don't know that I see a huge revival happening in northwest Arkansas and masses of people being saved. I don't know. I don't get everybody else's attendance records or their salvation records. I know some church called and left me a message on my day off this week saying, hey, we need your attendance records, and they're doing some kind of comparison to them and other churches want to know attendance and all kinds of data about our church. If you want to turn in Mark chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 41 through 44. Mark chapter 12. So the New Testament, it's Matthew, then there's Mark, Luke, John, Acts. So Mark. Six superpowers of the supernatural church. The second of which, remember last week we looked at worship. Wow, worship, right? That you don't walk out saying, wow, what a great sermon, or wow, what great worship, but wow, what a mighty God we serve. Or stand, that, that you came in, right? Remember, you came in and you left different. All right, so, so we, we're looking at stewardship as a second superpower. And so the second superpower is, is, is stewardship, managing, using, working, and overseeing. Now let's just stop for a minute and say, I, I probably don't preach enough on, on the subject of giving because it's much spiritual and a spiritual roadblock for a lot of people than anything else, but I'm not talking about just money today, okay? Stewardship is anything you've been given charge over to manage, and being a good steward is being a good manager of that. So it can be talents, it can be um, giftings, it can be resources, it can be money. But stewardship is managing or using or working with and overseeing all that God has given you, everything. And in the greatest aspect, all that you are, are and you have is from God. And you simply are give, given the opportunity to manage it. The truth is that everything belongs to God and we are mere managers of it. It's not ours. That is the hardest thing for us to not only get. We, we could sit here in this service and we can say to ourselves over and over, everything I have is God's. We could sing a song about it. We could praise Jesus about it. But when we go out and we get a bill in the mail, our electric bill was about $100 more than normal, good grief, what are they doing to me? How am I going to do this, right? All of a sudden, it's all our problem, right? It's not that God's given us the money spare bills and he'll help us get through any unexpected ones but now it's our problem just like it becomes again our money so you might say i got the strength to work by exercising pastor i go to the gym every day that's why i can work those 60 hour weeks i'm in shape i'm in a shape too i won't talk about what shape that is but i'm in a shape well god gave you the legs where'd you get those legs to do the workout? Where'd you get the arms? God gave that to you. And it's like the scientists who challenge God to a creation contest, right? And he's like, I can make anything in the laboratory. Now we've got stem cell research. We've got everything. We can make human beings. We can make monkeys, rabbits. What do you want? I can make anything. I'm not talking about balloon animals. I can make you anything. And he challenges God to a creation contest, and he says, he says okay. And so God makes a man out of dirt. He says, that's no problem. I can do that, too. And he says, wait a minute. Get your own dirt. Right? Because nothing that man is working with came from man. It all came from God. So you see, you, me, the church, we're all just stewards of what God has given us. And it's being a good steward of all that the church will find itself, uh, has that will find itself strengthened and powerful, in fact, supernatural. Uh, It's really easy for us to make money because I I have to say um, decades of, of wrong things have happened in churches especially all over television to do with money and God's work has tainted people's mind that the money part is a part to stay away from the stewardship part is a part to not talk about because that's a money grabbing church or that's a this or that but you know here's the thing many people use that excuse to okay uh, uh, something that is lacking in their spiritual walk and that's stewardship that God is giving them and blessing them, but they will hang tightly onto it until God has to pry it from their hands for his work. And so being a good steward of all that the church has will find itself in a supernatural situation. It's in this familiar text in the 12th chapter of Mark we find ourselves using a real-life situation to teach that very powerful. That supernatural lesson. We may not always associate. Um, with the church as a whole. Um, stewardship. But there is a strong lesson here. For the Christians. In Mark chapter 12. 41 through 44. It says. Jesus went over to the collection box. In the temple. And sat and watched. As the crowds. Dropped in their money. Jesus. Is sitting over there. To watch who gives what. Now. Let's just play this out on a Sunday and see how this works out for new song. We're going to do it like the, like the Latin American countries. You're going to all come up kind of dancing with your money, right? To bring it up to God. Very excited. And it's going to sit right here. And here's where I'm going to be, right? And I'm watching and I'm looking and you drop in and I'm looking at your check. I'm checking the 20s, taking out the little marker, right? Make sure it's real. No, Jesus wasn't quite going that far, but he's watching. He's observing what they're giving. It'd be very uncomfortable for the giver, right? I mean, if they really knew who Jesus was because he is very concerned about what is being given and who's giving, and, and so he's observing. Many rich, pe- rich people put in large amounts. Jesus ought to be very happy with him, right? Then a poor widow came and dropped in two pennies. He called his disciples to him and said, I assure you this poor widow has given more than all the others have given. For they have gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Now this is a whole unit of measurement that is new to the church at this time. Because up until this time, remember money changers, I think there was money being made off of sacrifices being given. Uh, for sins, there, there's this idea that you know, the more is better. The more you give to God is better. And, and so they don't think about someone who has little being able to really reach God like someone who has a lot. They don't understand God's economy. So Jesus is intently watching as the scene unfolds. The rich, the wealthy, the seemingly powerful are dropping in their donations to the temple. and They were pouring money into these things called trumpets some for tithes, some for offering, and they were making a spectacle of it, wanting to appear more powerful, wanting to flaunt what they had. And then up walks this little, dear, old widow woman. She walks up quietly and takes a full day's wage, the equivalent of one thirty-second of a penny today. No pomp, no circumstance, just all that she had. And no, it wasn't required, she could have actually kept one of the coins, but she didn't. She gave all she had. So Jesus calls his disciples and says, look at her. She put more than all of them. And, and understand what he's saying. He's saying uh, that the wealthy donation was about self-promotion. They, they want everyone to know what they get, that they gave. And it wasn't stewardship of what they had been given. It was selfishness. You know, Travis and I were having this conversation yesterday, went to a motorcycle event that we've encountered a brother in Christ at one point that just both of us have the same feeling that this, this person is trying to self-promote, right? Just self-promote. And, and your radar, you know, your Jesus-dar goes off, right? You're like, bing, bing, there's something not right here. This guy's professing you know, uh, to be Christ-like, but he seems to be promoting himself. And so it was also about social prejudice, They wanted to be seen as sacrificing so much. I mean, Jesus was able to easily observe what people were given. They weren't hiding it. When in reality, they they weren't returning back to God what was God's. They were tipping him. Here, God, here's your tip. Uh, I think this time I'll give you 18% instead of 15. It wasn't about souls. This wasn't for kingdom work to, to, for souls, they, they were missing the whole reason because th- their heart was absent from the whole thing. Their hearts were not in the gift. And yet the widow's offering was about the heart of self-denying. That she could have kept one, but she didn't. She could have thought of herself, but she didn't. She gave out of abundance and she gave her all. And that came from a heart of sacrifice. She, she gave everything to the point it hurt. Nothing was held back. It was all given and given freely, and she sacrificed all and trusted God for the care of her life. It's one thing to give when you know that you got your bills paid, right? It's one thing to give, and I'm not just talking about money. I mean, money pays the bills, right? But your time. Uh, Some of you, if you take time away for kingdom work, away from work, you're not getting paid for those hours, right? And so uh, there's some that maybe have given of their time, and it did cost them financially, but it's one thing to do it when all the bills are paid and you know you have the excess to do. It's another thing, like this little woman, to give to the point it hurts. heart of surrender. She told her over, told over everything. No fuss, no begrudging the gift. She would surrender all. So we may be sitting here wondering how that applies to making a church powerful. Well, stay with me because we're going to find that out. And understand that a good steward begins in the heart. And, and, and really, this is what Jesus deals with all through his time of ministry. Jesus is not dealing with actions, although the actions are tended to change when the heart changes, but it's all about motives in the heart. You know, I keep hammering this over and over, the Sermon on the Mount. It, it's not about whether you kill or not. It's whether you have anger in your heart that leads to murder. It, it's all about what's in your heart. So this is how... Uh, We get into this here. Jesus is observing. So the word all is about a heart of devotion. And giving all is a symbol of a heart of devotion. So devotion is something that starts within. And the heart posture that makes a difference and then sees uh, the the sacrifice, it tends to bleed over to others. I've seen times in my life where I see someone give sacrificially and it moves my heart. And it caused me to want to do the same. So Jesus even made use of the word all in Mark 10 and again in Mark twelve thirty. And to make a similar point, Mark ten seventeen through 25 says, As he was starting out on a trip, a man came running up to Jesus, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what should I do to get eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But as for your question, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not testify falsely. Do not cheat. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied. I think he interrupted Jesus, didn't he? Teacher, the man replied. I have obeyed all these commandments since I was a child. Jesus felt genuine love for this man as he looked at him. You lack only one thing. He told him, go and sell all that you have and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And at this, the man's face fell and he went sadly away because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for rich people to get into the kingdom of God? This amazed them, but Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to get into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And then Mark 12, 30. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. You see, we don't just show God with our money. It's everything, all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. That's why you can't give a monetary gift and your heart not be in it, and it still please God. You, you can't give out of a duty, a sense of duty, a sense of obligation because that preacher really just pulled on you, you know. You have to know that you're giving in the right mind frame, in the right heart, because when it's to God, it has to be from your all. So stewardship, the, total, the word all translates for us as stewardship and stewardship of your time, your talent, and yes, your tithe and offerings. But the deeper issue here is that a Christian and a church who did not give of their all have a serious heart problem. Tonight, when, when some watch the Super Bowl, there's going to be a great display of this very concept, although we probably won't see it in that light. We won't think of church, and we won't think of giving, uh, whether it be our money or time or anything, but, but every man that steps out on that field has prepared for that moment greatly, has sacrificed greatly, but he's getting ready to display where his heart is at, how much heart he has in the game. Now, I may not, some of you know I'm not a big sports fan, I'm not a big football fan, but I have an appreciation for those moments where they catch where the guy is literally airborne up in the air, leaping over several men, catching a ball in the air, and landing gracefully. I mean, there is a, there is a heart in that and a passion, a giving your all that accomplishes those kind of things. Otherwise, everybody would be out there doing it and Super Bowl would be nothing, right? It, it, it's what separates the real players from those who are on the sidelines. And this is where the church finds their superpower. You see, this is where being a good steward really becomes a superpower. It's not in the giving because you did it and that's what a good Christian does. I met my obligation. But it's because there is such a heart and passion behind what you're doing that it begins to change your life and those around you. Not just meet the needs in the church or of what the church is doing to accomplish kingdom work, but what it does in your life. We have folks in this church that will tell me testimonies about what God has done when they have given of themselves sacrificially. And and they do it with a beam on their face of like if everybody just knew what God would do, right? Right, Danny? If If everybody just knew what God would do if they just opened up and gave to the point of sacrifice, they gave with passion, they gave out of complete love, everything, heart, mind, soul, everything to God. That's where the superpower comes from. That's a church that's devoted. Matthew six twenty one says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will be. You see, I'm only going to talk about healthy churches for a minute, okay? Because there are churches that grow by many different means. But churches are growing because lives are being changed. Mega churches don't become mega churches because everybody sat in the huddle, right? And sat in the huddle and sat in the huddle and sat in the huddle. Uh, they also didn't get there because uh, people were dis- spending the time disagreeing over each other. It, it was those people that were preparing for the Super Bowl over and over, and they're just waiting for that moment to go out and use what God had given them to make that play, right? It, if I am on the worship team, I don't just come up here on Sunday with a set list and believing that I am going to wow everybody with my own musical talents, or this is going to be a stagnant, dried-up experience. When you feel the Spirit of God moving, that's because those that have come up there have prayed and prepared, and they're coming up there with passion, knowing that God has given them a talent and a gift, and they truly desire to see you lift your hands and tears flow down your face. And knowing that those tears aren't just emotion, that is literally every teardrop is something that God has chiseled in your life that is now left, and you get to leave here changed. That's the superpower in the churches when you are a steward of everything God's given you to the point that you give like this widow lady gave. Everything. Not thinking of yourself, but thinking of the kingdom and what God wants you to do. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. If your heart is really that God has called you to new song and to see new song reach the lost, then you can't sit in the huddle waiting for the coach the assistant coach, not the head coach, but the assistant coach to get out there and the run plays for you. You've got to find where is God planning me, what talents does he give me, and how can I give it to the utmost? When you don't devote all you have, your time, your talent, your tithe, regardless of the amount, God can do tremendous things with it and with you. Now, I do want to talk about money for a minute. It is uncomfortable for me to talk about that. But, you know, early on when we voted into this building project, uh, Ken and I were just talking because Ken came from a church that's a very big giving church. And this church is giving. I'm not making a comparison. But, but they do, um, isn't it the first fruits thing? Every year they challenge people to give one week's salary to missions. A- and it brings in this huge amount for missions. And they bless. And, and the New Beginnings Ministry has been blessed by that. And so great things have been done with that. A- and people give sacrificially. But it takes people doing it not for the church, not because the pastor asked them, but they do it unto the Lord. And great things be accomplished, but when we voted this thing in for the church, Ken and I got to talking about this, and, and we just kind of, you know, guessing if, if people were making on the average, not everybody makes this, but if everybody's making $30,000 in a church of this size, we're just talking general churches across America, and everybody tithes like the scripture teaches us to give a tenth, that there wouldn't be any fundraising for a building. There would be none. Statistics say that only 20% of churchgoers carry the full financial weight of the church. 20% of the people. That means every church that is growing and doing well like New Song, that generally 20% are carrying that. I, I know that um, in some churches, you may have five different people that carry 50% of the, of the financial uh, needs of the church. Now, is this about church finance? No, because God owns a calum thousand hills. people don't pay the church bills God pays them. but when people give they're giving to God not to meet a bill or anything like that but that's that is a spiritual roadblock. What you'll find is when people will resist this from scripture, they'll buy into everything else, but this is a, road, a roadblock for them. They cannot get through the, to them that that God really wants them to give a tenth that he was really serious about that he said, test me in it when they do that they find that they will continually have Stresses and struggles more so than others I've seen. You know, Jen and I have talked about this. You know, uh, there's folks we know. They said we just don't believe that. We believe that God is just wanting us to give maybe our our time or whatever. But He didn't really mean a tenth of our money. And you know what? We watch them struggle and struggle and struggle. And Ken has seen the same thing. We prepared notes. We have a lifetime of watching people walk for Christ, but this is the one thing that's a roadblock to them, and they can't turn loose. And God is just going to let them try to learn that lesson over. Over, They keep taking the test over and over and over and over. So I want to stop here for a minute and give you a little update about the $3,000 that was given the church, right? Some of you were maybe here Wednesday night. You heard, yes, we did vote to give that before we even knew how the month would end for a new song. And I had told just a couple people that while I didn't expect God to have to do it, I said, God be nice. Remember we preached about Gideon and the fleece, you know, he put it out. I want the ground dry and the fleece wet one time. Oh, that's not good enough. Now I, I want it reversed. Well, I just put it out there, God. Um, we had to spend a lot of money on architect-engineer fees. You know the whole story. And before I even know how it ends, we're going to commit that 3000 I believe we're going to do it. And we're just going to see how this month ends. And I haven't gone back through the whole history of New Song, but I think January might have been a record month for New Song since its inception. God came through in such a miraculous way. It was just unbelievable. In fact, when Danny and Andrew told me, because I wouldn't tell them what the amount is I was praying, when he told him what it was, I actually broke down my office because it was such a faith builder for me. You see, other people gave sacrificially, and because of that, me, even though I'm the pastor, I'm still a guy just walking for Jesus, one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread, and it broke my spirit and encouraged me. And I actually texted Ken early in the month. I said, I don't need this because of selfish reasons, but I would like God to increase my faith in my own giving. I'd like him to challenge me. I, I need this because I'm not as quick, I have not been as quick in the past to, to trust God um, when it comes to finances. And, and I need that if I'm going to lead you in that. And so God did it in such a huge way. It did change me. And, and, I, and I found myself, I told Jen, I said, you know, little things, that sounds silly to say this, but my kid's asking to borrow my metal detector the other day. I was like, sure. you know. Whereas before, I was like, no, you'll break it. You aren't touching that, you know. Uh, and, and little things. We become where it's things that are in our hands. We're just stewards, and we're, we're willing to give out, and we're willing to bless, we're willing to let go of. We, we don't need to control everything. And, and that's been a lot of my life is feeling like I've got to take control. A church that is different, it changes us. Second Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Now, I want to tell you, dear brothers and sisters, what God is that what God in his kindness has done for the churches in Macedonia. Though they have been going through much trouble and hard times, their wonderful joy and deep poverty have overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that if they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it on their own free will. They begged us again and again for the gracious privilege of sharing in the gift for the Christians in Jerusalem. Best of all, they went beyond our highest hopes for their first action was, dedicated, uh, was to dedicate themselves to the Lord and to us for whatever directions God may give them. This is like the first really big missions uh, testimony, missions offering testimony, right? Uh, these Macedonians, they, they're going through hard times. They're broke. They're, they're having a rough time. This is not the people that you would ask in the church to give, I'm right? Because they're the ones that lost the job. They're, they're the ones that have no food in the pantry. And, 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 and he's amazed because they begged to give. But the church in Jerusalem, let us give. Let's give to those believers there. Let's give to them. And it built his faith. And listen, when I went to Honduras on a, a missions internship, I was there for three months, and the missionary there, we went to some very poor villages. In fact, we went to where the kids would go to, their school, go to school in their underwear unless they are provided with clothing because they had nothing. And, and very, very poor. Mud houses, sticks, mud. And, and these people, they would take up offering at their church. And I'd be like, what in the world are they doing? These people have nothing. I mean, if they find a coin, it's probably the biggest prize that month that they found a coin. And the missionary would still give them offering. He says, if I don't give them the opportunity to to find out what God will do, then I'm robbing them. Then I'm robbing them because I'm robbing them of the blessing they'll get and I'm robbing them of the lesson they'll learn where God will turn around and meet their needs time and time again, just like he has for me. It doesn't matter the amount. They may have one coin. I may have $100 to give, but it's not the amount. Just like this widow, it was what was in the heart. And we can't determine what God is going to do with that. We just have to be obedient. So a church that's being a good steward with all that God's given will stand out as different. People will not know what makes them different, but God will. When a church that appears to the world to be small and insignificant, God uses that. God has graced them with the, the, in the world to see that something is different about that little church and they will know that. I challenge you sometime to read the book Extravagant by Brian Jarrett, where God challenged him to go to a year without a salary to see his church get out of debt and what God did. And some of you are thinking, are you going to do that, Pastor? <laughs> well, if God tells me to, I will. I, I'm sure it didn't come easy. In fact, I know it didn't because I got a chance to talk to him more about it, and it was a really tough road for them. They didn't have money stuck back. But non-believers in the community that owned restaurants would make them up make up, made up certificates, say you eat free in my restaurant for this year. When the story got through the community, what it did to that community because of his faith and God to provide. So it's a supernatural church because it's a church that makes a difference. Hebrews thirteen 16, don't forget to do good and to share what you have with those in need. For such sacrifices are very pleasing to God. So as a good steward, a church will make an eternity of difference. If, if you don't believe it, look at what the little widow woman did. It's still teaching you and me over 2,000 years later. Jesus made a point to use it as a teaching reference for all time. So a Christian that gives all straight from the heart is a powerful Christian, a supernatural one. A church that gives all straight from the heart is a superpower church. So how does this apply today? Well, frankly, it's up to you and to God. I can't tell you if you're giving all that you have. I'm only assistant coach. The head coach will have to tell you if you're giving it all. I just listen to him. If he tells me to preach on something or to, to, to go over a playbook, a play that we're missing, then, then, I, then I bring it. But, you know, this is a harder one to preach when I started planning this and we had already had a record month, Right. Pastor, what are you preaching this for? Wait till nobody's given anything, right? No, because it doesn't depend on the amount again. Sometimes we need to hear that over and over to understand. This isn't whether you write a $1 dollar or a hundred dollars on your check and the offering, or whether you give an hour to God in your week or 10 hours. It's whether you're giving your all. But knowing myself and all the struggles I've had in this area, the flesh getting to me regarding stewardship, you may want to ask yourself the question I've asked myself. What have I been holding back from God? That really gets to the heart of the issue. It it could be a lot of things that may have nothing to do with money, but what am I holding back from God? And and that's really where we have to settle the issue and and be honest with ourselves. It could be time talent. Our tithe, our heart, our spouse, our children. God is calling you onto the field. He's calling you to run the plays. He's giving you the best pads and equipment that even money can't buy. He's giving you the talent to play. And he's giving you an opportunity. He's literally giving you a chance at the Super Bowl. And He's giving you all the resources in the game. You know, these players... I can't imagine the money someone make. I mean, I've heard the figures; it's staggering, and it's easy to say, "Man, over overpaid," you know, all that. But let me tell you, with great, with great wealth comes great responsibility, right? That, who he's given much, he requires much of. And so, I wouldn't trade right now the stresses in my life for the stresses of those players right now today probably for all the money in the world. I think I'll just let them do that. And often we we look at it like that. God's given us a lot. He's given us a lot of opportunity, but he requires a lot of us too. We just have to figure out between us and him how much he's requiring. This isn't really a football game for here, but it is the kingdom championship. We're playing for the souls of men. We're playing to see lives changed, and that's what New Song's all about. Those players today again are being rewarded a lot of money, but even, but not even one of them had to use a lot of what they had to even get there. They expended a lot of resources to get there. I'm sure there was times before they were on that NFL pick where they were, they were wondering how they were going to make it, and they pushed forward. Right now, as I sit and we're I'm talking with these bankers, I'm thinking, Lord, we're getting ready to really make a big play here. I really need you to show up, and, and I feel like after preparing for this message i'm telling god put on his helmet and pads and get out there and play the play the field for me and he's saying that's what i've given you all the stuff you have for you guys get out there and play it you lead the team and you get out there and play it and that's what god wants us to do there's people right now in centerton who are unchurched and that's really weird to say in the bible belt isn't it there are unchurched people in centerton i i've i met a guy yesterday at the biker event that has been here before at new song And he hadn't been here for years. And he said, you know, I've not been to church. Maybe I'll show up again. And God set up that divine opportunity that we ran into him again. And that him and his wife needed to find a place to worship. Now, he didn't grow up in Pentecostal church. So he did ask me, you guys don't play with snakes, right? He literally asked me that. And I was like, like, yeah, we do. What's wrong with that? (laughs) No, no, we don't. We don't. Um, We'll put them in your car if you don't come back. (laughs) But but God is God is wanting to grow His kingdom. It's not about us. It's not about us to chalk up on the on the sign out there. New song got another one, right? But in the end, it's either heaven or hell, and it's our responsibility to go out and be the one that God uses to rescue those that are headed for hell. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, this Super Bowl Sunday. It's really your Sunday. Um, the world can't take that from you. Every every sabbath day it's it's holy it's yours god we know in the new covenant that sabbath, the sabbath day can be lord uh, the day of rest that you make it but god today we've chosen to come together for the sabbath day to worship together lord uh, there's some will enjoy we'll enjoy the game and the food tonight lord we'll watch those players work really hard and and maybe we'll just remember part of this message that that that's the extent that you want us to put effort into your kingdom. Lord, when they're jumping in the air, reaching for that ball, everything they got, all their heart, their soul, their mind, everything they've got. They put their finances into it, they put their time, they, they've been injured, they've been battered, they've been bruised. But they're gonna fight to the very end. They're all in. God, whatever it is we're holding back, I pray you'd let your Holy Spirit convict us of it that you might rescue us from ourselves, Lord, from the attempts of the enemy to pull us away, to discourage us. God, you're looking for a supernatural church. You're looking to, to endow us with supernatural powers, Lord, to uh, to change this world. And I pray that we'd step up and play, God. That we'd step up and give it an hour, give it everything we've got. With every head bowed and eye closed, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands. I'm just going to say, if you know that you're holding something back, this is your moment before you walk out of here to not, to not let the enemy steal this opportunity from you. The Holy Spirit has already convicted your heart. There's been something. Maybe it's finances, your time. Maybe just your heart in this. Maybe you see what's happening at New Song. and You know God's doing a work here. You can sense it. You feel the power of God, but you just kind of, your umph to do anything to, to be a part of it god's trying to call you back into the game he's trying to get you out in the play whatever that may be just take a few moments quietly for the lord i want you to to settle a plan with lord the lord of how you're going to let him help you get back in the game